Hello, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Nordic Football Podcast. On this edition, I am delighted to be joined by a special guest, a guest we've had on before on the show a few years ago now, Tom Dent, who is the manager at Norwegian club Sturdles Blink. Tom, it's great to have you back on the podcast. Uh, how are you doing well? Very good, thank you. Great to be back. And uh, as I missed it from before, congratulations on getting over the, the big 100. Well, yes, that, thank you very much indeed. And, and it kind of... I was re-listening to the episode that you were previously on. It was an Elitisarian season preview back in our second uh, season. It was around about sort of episode number 20, I think, of our list. So uh, for those who would like to go and have a listen back, then uh, do check back on it. But, um, you know, a lot has changed since then. Uh, back then, of course, Tom was part of the Buddha Glimt coaching staff. Uh, they just got promoted. <laughs> he actually gave us two or three interesting youngsters to watch out for who were... Uh, who are worth a fair few million quid now, let's just say that. But, um, Tom, now you are manager at a club called Sturdles Blink in uh, Norway, second division uh, level. Um, how did this uh, come about then, uh, Tom? Um, as always, there's, uh, there's a long version and a short version, so I'll go for the short version. Um, <laughs> I was actually here before I joined Glimt in 2016. Uh, I was assistant manager at the time. Um, the manager was a guy called Gary Hogan, uh, who was a former player in the Elite Syrian uh, in the first division. And I got asked to join him as assistant. Uh, I was known to be, it was a classic British uh, managerial duo where I was assistant and led a lot of trainings on the pitch. And, and Gary was the, the big boss who picked the team and, and uh, did the kind of other side of it, shall we say. Uh, we went on a fantastic cup run. We beat Mulder in the third round. Uh, we played Sarsborg in the fourth round away. Unfortunately, lost. But I, I sort of learned and found out that I wasn't ready for senior football, which is when I was very pleased then to go and work with Glimt. The club then went down, unfortunately, but then came back up. And last year, the manager decided that he wanted to um, take a new role working in football full-time. So he's currently the head of academy at Rosenborg. Uh, and it was one of those where I'd been at Glimp for four years. I'd sort of progressed through the, the ranks. I was 16s coach, then 19s coach, then sort of lead phase for the 16 to 19. So I was sort of thinking what the next step would be. And I kind of threw my hat in the ring, not really thinking I had a chance uh, for a club like Blink, who are in the second level of Norwegian football and as someone that isn't that local. And, and yeah. There's a lot of reasons not to hire me, um, but I went through the interview process and was and was obviously very delighted then when they when they chose me. So I was announced uh, in October last year. The club then went on a massive, should we say, losing run where I think they won one of the last ten games uh, and just about survived. Uh, and I started here beginning of January and have been here ever since. Yeah, it was one of those. I remember you were you were appointed. It was announced uh, in in the autumn last year, and then uh, I mean, what was it like watching on? Because this was a, you didn't know what what division you you were actually going to be managing in, because they had to go through an Obosli again relegation playoff match against a team called Aska. Came through it fairly comfortably, uh, I must add. But um, I mean, was that a bit sort of nervous for you watching on? Yes and no, um, because I knew that regardless of of what happened, I was going to be working at a level higher than I currently was. And I knew that the the start point from the club was uh, an exciting project nonetheless. Uh, and they, they'd moved into a new stadium at the beginning of 2020. 
um, and they, they've taken sort of ginormous steps uh, in quite a small space of time. So I knew that the the plan and the, the possibilities with the club was was going to be big regardless of which division they played in. I, of course, am human, however, so I want to coach at the highest level possible. So to be able to coach a team at this level compared to second division, of course, has a, a lot more... Uh, a lot more pleasure and a lot more sort of motivation to do. Um, so it was a it was a strange period. Um, they changed the coach with two games to go. So um, one of my assistants now was took over the team for the last two Orbos games and those two playoff games. Um, and he was very good to involve me in the process. Uh, so it was it was him who led the training. It was him who picked the team. But he 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 liked to discuss sort of how he was thinking of approaching the game and, and areas to think about. Um, so it was good to sort of be able to get involved with that, um, even just a little bit, um, because it allowed me to see the players and, and see how they responded to some of the ideas that I had. Although all credit should go to to Snorder because uh, he, he did an excellent job in those four games he took over. So uh, it was not comfortable, uh, but it was nice when it all paid off. So Sturdles Blink, they are a club uh, located in the Trondheim region of Norway. Um, I have to say, not uh, a club I know an awful lot about. My, my knowledge below elite Syrian level is limited in places. Tell us a little bit more about Sturdles Blink, sort of the club, a little bit of the more recent history of it, Tom. Well, Sturdal is, is, as you said, placed uh, directly next to the airport for Trondheim. Um, it's about 25 minutes north of Trondheim, the city. Uh, there's about 25,000 people in, in, the, in the town. It's, it's grown a lot already in the last in the five years between when I was here last time and now. Um, it's the first time actually they've survived at this level. They've been, they were here before in the late 80s, but it was the first time last year they managed to stay at this level. Um, and it's most sort of known at exports, shall we say, is um, it was Frederick Michu's uh, mother club. So he's a former Rosenborg midfielder. Really? Uh, and more recently, Sonder Carton, who signed for your favourite club, Christian Sun, I believe, <laughs> um, who joined them in January and, and had a fantastic breakthrough year in uh, in the Elite Serie, which which uh, I was lucky enough to work with him the first time. It was kind of the year before he got his breakthrough here in 2016. Uh, you could see there was potential there, but he, he's done a fantastic job bringing that potential. And I think... Taking the long road for him has been good. He he's come the long way. He didn't play August football too. He was twenty five and he's twenty six now and playing at the top level and doing really really well. So um, the club is is a very community club. Um, it, it's one as we said that's grown ginormously in such a small space of time. It's went from having a stadium of about three hundred to having a stadium of about twelve hundred uh, due to the demands of the league. Uh, and hopefully over the next couple of years, we'll be able to use that as a springboard then to to implement more younger players coming through and, and, and have a bit more of a of a unified club. Uh, because yeah. at the minute, it's a, it's a club with, with, with no disrespect meant, but it's a club that has a, a second division uh, manpower. And the volunteers here are absolutely amazing. There's a, there's a group of veterans that, I hear most days doing something around the stadium and I cannot stress how much work they do. So it's unbelievable. Um, but for us to be able to survive at a, a more professional level, we have to we have to grow a little bit. And that's hopefully something we can do in the next couple of years. 
And this is the club is a semi-pro level, right? Yeah. So we have uh, when you when you talk about FA Cup games where you play against plumbers and, and carpenters and roof tilers, uh, we have teachers and one carpenter actually, uh, and students and uh, yeah, people that that work alongside. There's nobody, including myself, who is full-time professional in the club. Um, so it is a proper sort of semi-professional level and. And uh, they they are excellent in that uh, in terms of managing both sides because it is it is very demanding in all of the players the same professional and as I'm sure we'll touch on later when you're playing teams like Allison and Start who are full time professional with elite series and experience uh, it is a whole different world compared to what those teams then get when they come and visit us. So uh, yeah, 30, 30 year old English coach uh, Thomas. Um... I think you, if I do remember correctly, you're a Southampton fan, Tom. I am. Uh, For all my sins, I am. I, I thought as much, yes. So this is your first senior uh, head coach role. So um, at the moment, we've had 19 rounds in the Obosl again. You started a bit rough. You've come back into some form and it's so tight down there. Yes, you are in the, in the playoff position right now. But one win and you're literally up to mid-table. It's, it's kind of uh, crazy stuff. But uh, I mean... You know, you this is you say your first head coaching role, but you have been in the football coaching field uh, for quite a long time. So, what would you say you've learned sort of from those previous roles that have have helped helped you in this sort of first season of the head coach role? Well, one of the big advantages I had starting this role was I was here before, and I was here as an assistant, um, mm. and it also meant that some of the players that were there in 2016 were still here five years later. Um, so it meant I could lean on them a little bit and I knew that I already had their trust, um, which is really important as a, as a new manager coming in, um, which made my sort of transition then from being a youth coach to a senior coach a bit easier this time. Um, when I was here in 2016, I found it a lot more difficult to do that transition because I had no real experience of senior football. And you can't, um, you can't coach in the same way and the demands put on the from the players to you as a coach are different. Uh, with development, it's all about you know producing players and, and looking at the bigger picture. In senior football, no matter what people tell you, you are governed by the results you get on a on a game day, um, as well as if the development side along the way. So I was that was the first advantage. The second big advantage was I was I joined Baller Glimpse right at the start of their journey. So I signed for them at the end of 2016 when they were relegated from the Elite Series the last time. Uh, I joined two months before Shettle Knudsen joined, um, initially as assistant and now as a head coach. So I managed to see a lot of the, a lot of the steps that Glimpse took from being a relative-sized club to being the European giant, for what of a better phrase, they are at the minute. Um, and, and culture was a big thing for that. Shetel is a massive um, demand a demand of, of culture, in, both in the group, in the club, everything. Mm. Um, the phrase that was used a lot in Glimpse was that the, the first team for Baller Glimpse took the rest of the club to a whole new level, which then means the rest of the club had to play catch-up. And that was, that was for the academy, that was for the the administrative side, that was for marketing, that was for everything. It, it opened a new door that Glimpse had to learn again very, very quickly. Um, but culture was the massive thing that put behind that. So that was one of the first things I thought about uh, before taking this role and was one of the first things that we tried to uh, 
identify and def- define um, because I can talk football till the day goes on, but at the end of the day, if people don't want to do the things you want to do, then it doesn't matter. And for me, culture here, as I said, I had an advantage knowing what sort of culture I was coming into, um, but I had to adapt and I had to learn and I had to use what was already here to my advantage then. Um, but at the end of the day, with all those things considered, nothing prepares you for being a manager. Uh, no coaching course, no UEFA license, no um, conversations with people that have been in that role can properly prepare you for what you have to face. Um, the media is one thing, the expectations from the group of players on you, um, the behaviours you do, the types of trainings you do, the people around the club, whether that's the board or supporters or, or other people, the people around the town, you know, people joke about when you go into the supermarket and people blanking you or want to talk to you. I thought that was absolute nonsense until we lost the first was it six of the first seven games. And all of a sudden, the credit I'd got from joining went very quickly away. And then we started winning games again and it come back again. So um, there's a lot of things you, you have to learn as you go. And, and there's still so many things that uh, I've got to learn. Um, but I'm a far better coach far better person far better manager now than I was when I started in January um, and I hope that, that that trend can continue both into this year and and uh, in the rest of the time that I'm here what are the targets for a club like Sturdles Blink I mean I don't know if you're even allowed to say what the board expects of you I mean obviously what we, you expect yourself um, in terms of you know finishing finishing positions and development is it I mean from the outside looking in this is just a bit of an obvious thing. I would imagine just surviving would be the first primary target for this season, but I might be wrong there. No, you're you're not far off. Um, I think I was very clear in my interview, and this is probably going to come back to bite me when I say this now, but I was very clear in the interview when I I spoke to the club that if they wanted a manager that was guaranteed to keep them in Orbos this year, it wasn't me. Uh, Because I I have no previous managerial experience. I, I don't know this level as a manager well enough to, to make it a bold statement like that. Um, but what I did say was if you want someone to come in and build around a club, that goes to the, the, the youth department, that comes to professionalising the first team, that comes to uh, using my experience from, from Glimpse and from other places, then I, that was something that I could do. Um, so the, the obvious target is stay in the league, uh, the, the classic British phrase is second season syndrome um, where everyone knows a bit about you and everyone knows your weaknesses and your strengths and and therefore give you a bit more respect. The last year, uh, Fjordal think scored 52 goals and conceded 57. Uh, or sorry, 59 actually. So it was clear to see that most teams didn't show Blink the respect and therefore went for it and then Blink would just utilise the space that was there. Um, this year, there's been a lot more teams that have shown us respect, have, have, have defended more compact, have, have denied us the space that we have looked for. Um, and it meant that we've had to learn other ways and learn um, how to overcome these moments. And that's part of a club's development. That's part of how they go through. So our ambition is to be in almost as long as we can. Um, but all the time, improving both within the first team and around the club then to make us as much of a stable Orbus club as we can 
um, at least in the next few years. I can give you a very easy example. It, it's very difficult to say we want to stay in Orbos without knowing exactly what that looks like. Because, uh, you know, some some seasons you need 25 points, some seasons you need 30 points. Last year, uh, should I think we're in the relegation playoff with 33 points. The two years previous to that, you only needed 27. So um, it's been more of a case of for us this year, just improving uh, uh, what we did last year and, and, and being better this year. So uh, that means conceding less goals. That did mean scoring more goals, although 52 from 30 games was quite ambitious, but we, we, we've tried. Um, and to get 34 points in at the end uh, is something that we, we are still targeting regardless of what that means. Now, if that means that we can get into the playoffs to go into the elite tier, and if that means we stay off relegation, if that means we go down, nobody knows until the 30 games are played. But if we get our own target of being better than last year, then that, for me, will be a successful year. And we were on 26 points after 20 games last year. We're currently on 20 after 19. So we're a little bit under. But as you named uh, the back end of last year, we went on a bit of a poor run. So... There's all possibilities to be able to do better this year than last year. And, and now it's up to us to be able to to improve that. Yeah, and you are one of the 16 teams that are in the Obos League in the second tier in Norway. Not a tier we really talk about that much on the Nordic Football Podcast. So this is a good chance to talk about it now for those who are, are interested. And I always look at this league and I think it's a crazy one because, say, 16 teams, <clears throat> the, the bottom two go down. 14th place goes into a relegation playoff with about with the leagues below it always complicates me who's actually in that and who's not the top two get automatic promotion uh third to sixth go into a playoff system and there's not much left really uh in mid-table uh, end up with nothing so i think it's a damn crazy league tom i mean what's it like to be involved at this level i mean there's this mix of semi-pro and pro teams that in itself has got to be difficult yeah i mean i think the easiest comparison not in terms of level but in terms of setup is, is the what was known as the conference where you have teams at the top who have played football league uh, and you've got teams at the bottom who are used to playing same professional and are in that kind of middle ground. Um, it is a crazy league because it tends to follow the same pattern where teams kind of go for it. One of the big giants struggle at the start, usually a relegated team because either they've had to have a fire sale and they've got a new squad or new manager and, and et cetera, et cetera, or every team that plays them treats it like a cup final. So there is no easy game. Um, and then you get to about the middle of the season and everyone starts beating everybody and teams started well. Usually the teams that got promoted start well, as Blink did last year and and as um, as Brynne and Frederick Star have done this year. Uh, they start really well because they've got that momentum from being promoted. Um, and then all hell breaks loose, basically. So uh, we're in a stage now where I think we are 20th. We're on 20 points on, in 14th. Up to 8th place is 24 points. And everyone can beat everyone on their day in between that. Um, so it's a really tough league to guess. It's a really tough league to to um, understand what's going to happen. We we predicted Yav to be somewhere near the bottom and they're now second in the table. Uh, Gruru and Brinna started really well in the first five or six games and now they're somewhere near the bottom um, but it could all change again uh, Hamcam who are now top under the well-known manager Sheta Ragdahl last year were dead bottom 
uh, and in 12 months they've gone from being dead bottom to being elite Syrian, I wouldn't even say candidates, I would say favourites now. So it's a really fascinating league to be involved in. It's a really fascinating league to work in. And I have to give credit to to Eurosport and Discovery because they have made it into a really good product for fans to enjoy. Uh, it gets as much coverage, attention and focus as the Elite Syrian does here. And that's made it into then a really fun product and a really fun thing to be involved in, albeit I would rather play at the weekends than on Monday, as we're currently doing. But that's a different discussion. Yeah, it, it does seem very crazy. And there's been, you know, we've had semi-professional teams get promoted from this league before and, and done well. Like Ranheim, for example, did work very well in their first season up there. Mjern Dahlen keep going strong um, at a semi-pro level. And, you know, there's a couple of sort of fallen giants in them top four that always catch me, Ham Cam and, and Fredrikstad. I mean, do you think either of those sides could actually go up this year? Ham Cam, for me, are the best team we've played against. Uh, by a mile. We played them uh, in our first game this season. Uh, we felt that uh, when we played them, we felt that uh, we'd done a, an OK game, but they were uh, just a step better than us in, in a few key phases of the game. Um, but they are by far the best organised, best uh, best coach team in, in the league. Uh, and I think they are huge favourites now to, to go up if they haven't already... Uh, I wouldn't say already secured it, but I, I find it very difficult to see that that momentum slipping. Um, and I think, to be honest, the second automatic place is very wide open at the minute. Uh, Orlison had a poor start, but have now come. I don't. They've lost in the last sixteen games, so they are on a really good run of form. Uh, Fredericksdale were up there for a long time, but they've sort of started to dip. So I think playoffs is looking more likely for them. Uh, Yaev, as I mentioned earlier, were a team that were we had or were in danger of being relegated on the last day of the season last year, but with a point managed to stay up, coincidentally against ourselves. Uh, but they've been really consistent this year. They've got some fantastic attacking players, um, one from Cape Verde and one from uh, Paraguay and, and some really exotic places, not where you'd expect players to go and play second level in uh in uh, in Norway, um, but they are they keep churning out results and, and keep managing to do it. So, I think Hamcam are, are definite favourites. I think Orlesen will go up one way or another, um, but I wouldn't rule out Yale or Fredrikstad yet. Um, but I think the next few games are going to be really really important. But again, I think that shows um, if you look back at the. I know you guys do a, a season prediction in Elite Syrian. I guarantee you, if you look back at some of the experts from the Orbis League, there are none that have got it correct uh, because it is just such a, a bonkers league from, from year to year. Ron Iyn were due to be one of the favourites to go up and they've struggled for half the season. So, uh, some results the same. They were We played them on Saturday. They were favourites to go up and then they are exactly one place above us with the same points. So, and Start have, have had a really poor year from their standards. Uh, they've had a lot of change. There's been a lot of player in and out, they've changed manager. They still haven't quite found what they want to be yet. So, uh, no, it's it's, a, it's an extremely fascinating league. I, I recommend anyone who's into football and is a bit, likes a bit wackiness and a bit out there, out of the bubble to uh, to go and watch the league. No, I don't think they need to worry. I think my, my predictions for Lita Serian every year are never quite right because I always have Christensen in the bottom five and they <laughs> end up in the top six. So, um, 
Yeah, well, right. Let's talk tactics, Tom, because I've noticed an interesting sort of uh, variation in your in your games here. In statistically, um, you have you have the worst defensive record away from home. You conceded twenty seven goals, but you actually have the best defensive record at home out of anyone. I mean, I find that rather incredible. It might just be the way the fixtures have fallen. Um, but in terms of tactics, according to this is according to transfer market, you've worked a variation of four three three. Um, most games that might be right, that might be wrong. Have you been changing your systems up home and away? Um, does it sort of because you are sometimes playing professional sides, have you got a set up differently, or do you have your own style generally? Um, philosophy throughout the whole season? No, I think I think part of it is how the fixtures have fallen. Um, we've played a lot of the top teams away already. Uh, so we've played Allison away, we've played Start away, we've played Hamcam away, we've played Frederick Star away, we've played the Ive away. So a lot of the top six, top seven teams have already played away. Um, I would also say that some of it is naivety for me uh, because early on in the season we tried to play, I would say we tried to play more attacking football. Uh, we, we focused more on how we could hurt opponents um, whereas perhaps we should have been a bit more respectful of who we were playing uh, so I know that some of the results away have been poor uh, and that's as I say as that's been part of my learning as well um, and I think the home record is more just a case of teams don't like coming to us we had a good home record last year we've had a good home record this year uh, we, we, we have a good Honest crowds, as I say, we don't particularly have a massive stadium compared to some, but if you're used to playing in front of 5,000, 4,000 people every round and you end up coming to a place that can only play with 400, 500 people every round, there is a difference. And, you know, it's it's a very, very nice stadium, but it is very compact and very small and it it's uh, it's a little bit different for those bigger teams. So we've, um, we've set up relatively similar the last 10 games, I would say, where we've probably had a bit more focus on uh, being difficult to break down. Uh, I think we've defended excellently the last few games, uh, but it has come a little bit of a cost of uh, what we've done with the ball. Uh, and that's something that we we now, now we've got a foundation of how we uh, can function in the league and, and how we can nullify opponents. Then it's up to us now to work on how we can hurt them as well. Um, and I think that our goal difference will pay because of those earlier away results. But I think, as I say, if you look at the last, probably since the summer, we had a we had a tough away game against Frederick Star, in which I think was a was a result that reflected poorly on what actually happened in the game. Um, we we had uh, the the beginning of the second half. We we could have scored one or two to equalise very easily. Uh, we then conceded a third after our right back went down with a hamstring injury, and then. In the midst of us trying to reorganise that, we can see the fourth as well. So, some of it is unfortunate. Some of it is just poor defending from us, and some of it's naivety from me. So, uh, we've been nothing short of entertaining. That's uh, the best way of saying it. <laughs> I mean, you do sort of look at some other managers worldwide, worldwide, and, and sort of maybe take any sort of inspiration from them. Maybe from Chettle at um, at Buda Glimp there as well, um, and sort of you know your own sort of personal or philosophies is that is that do you have that and can you actually implement that at Sturdle Blink or is that just not practical 
in the sort of the, the limitations, you know, being semi-pro in, in the league you're in? In preparation for this job, I spent most of last year, which began in the, the lockdown for COVID, but sort of extended through the year of um, basically answering that question. How do I want a team managed by me to look? And I came up with something that was probably 84 pages of, I was going to say nonsense. It's not nonsense, <laughs> but there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to it. Um, and what I, what I found out was very quickly was it's impossible to give that 84-page document to every player in the squad and say, right, go and read that. Uh, we're going to have a test on it in two weeks' time and the person that knows it the best is going to start in every game. Um, you've got to have that as your ideal and then you have to adapt to what, what uh, tools you have and, and how, to, uh, how to progress that then over time. So... I turned my 84-page document into four sentences. Uh, one on how we attack, one on how we defend, and one how we transition in both directions. Now, that wasn't to oversimplify it, but it was more to, again, give a foundation of how we are going to look uh, across those four phases. Um, that's something then that's, that, that served us really well because it's allowed us then to, to implement sort of principles of how we want to look so simple things about um we talk about defending we say that we want to control where opponents can go so that doesn't mean that we're going to necessarily press high or sit low or defend wide or defend sentry what it means is is that if we know an opponent has a particular area that they want to go in we're going to stop them going in there and likewise if we know they have a particular area that they don't want to go in then we're going to try and put the ball in there um so it, it's simple things like that in in terms of inspiration from outside of my bubble um i think one of the first sort of eureka moments i had was was pep guardiola years ago now there's a lot of people that have talked about tiki taka and rondos and everything like that what i actually took from him was how he deconstructed um the way a team would play uh, and took away the classic kind of okay, full back. Think Gary Neville overlapping on from the right winger cutting in and overlapping in and going in and producing the cross. Um, before it was very much a case of players were very fixed in their roles based on the position they played. Whereas Pep kind of got rid of all of that and took uh, positions to basically mean numbers. So building up with a back three, whether that was the fullback and two central defenders or building up with a back two or having fullbacks playing inside to stop the counter but keeping the wingers wide uh, or vice versa, depending on who they're playing against. So that deconstruction of, of what was a 4-3-3 was my eureka moment into how I see football now. So I, I always look at uh, the numbers game. I always When I watch an opponent, um, I always look to see how they try to create overload or where they are on the load. So if we play against a 4-4-2, for example, we know that we have three central midfielders compared to their two. Now, do they then put the wingers narrower to make a tight midfield four, which means that they overload the middle four against three, but open up the spaces wide then two against one? Or do they keep the wingers wider then, which allow us to play centrally three against two? Just as an easy example. Um, so that was sort of top level uh, football tactics if we say it like that I love the way Jurgen Klopp is with his players I, I don't necessarily think his touchline manner is always the best but I love the genuine uh, ability to care for every player in his squad 
for the ability to see them as as people to connect with them emotionally as well as as well as football players um and be able to use that passion in a in a positive way um i put southgate in there as well because i think he's shown with the england team how he can connect with with people that have a very different backgrounds to him uh, very different upbringings very different ways of thinking football but his ability to articulate and put words to how he's feeling and thinking uh, is a fantastic skill and, and it's something that I myself believe very strongly in. Uh, we talked a lot about, obviously, you know, 84 pages of, of football, but the first page of it is basically about the human, the person. Uh, and we talked earlier about culture and how important that is. So those, those sort of unsung things are things that I've taken a lot from managers from there. And then you have Shettle, of course. I, I can't not name him because his ability to to set so high demands of players, no matter the level they've come from, is exactly why Bulleglimp are where they are and exactly why players like Frederick Bjorka and Patrick Berg, Ulrich Soltnes, Jens Petter Hauger, Hawk and Evian, I could go on, have managed to take the steps they have because... People always knew that they had the talent to be good, but they um, Shettle managed to get them to understand that it, it requires more than them just being good, that they need to work incredibly hard, they have to buy into the group, and they have to be vulnerable in, in what they think and expose themselves for the group. Um, because a lot of players in, in, in any country, really, they, they get to a point where they think they've made it and then their shoulders start to, to sink. But they then take their eye off the ball of what, okay, what happens next? And that's something that Shetty was, was excellent in and still is excellent in. Um, and finally, Fleming Pedersen is a bit of a, a random one. He's the head coach of, of Norseland in Denmark. Uh, now, I haven't actually met him or seen too much of him, but I look from the outside in and I think for someone to, to lead what is practically an under-21 team in the top level of Danish football, produce as many players as they do on a consistent basis, uh, and and play them at such a young age. Uh, there's a Norwegian player there, Andreas Sjöldgård, who was at Flint before in their academy. He's he's 17, uh, just turned 17. He's already played nearly 30 games in in the top level of Denmark and played very very well. Uh, so to have that confidence and uh, ability to connect with players that young and still be able to get results and still be able to play football in a way that's that's pleasing on the eye and offensive and, and that people can relate to, I think is a fantastic quality to have. So uh, quite a few different influences for me, but uh, if I can achieve half of what those guys have done, then I'll, I'll be doing well in my life. Great answers. Uh, absolutely fascinating to hear that, Tom, I must say. There was going to be like a couple of follow-up questions, but you've already answered them um, with uh, with that great, uh, great answer there. So I just want to talk to you now about uh, the mental health subject, which I know is a, Topic sort of close to you and um, resulted in you doing a 100-mile charity run this summer. This, this certainly caught my eye a bit on, on, on your Twitter, on your Instagram. I mean, first of all, how is the, the knee? Because it's a bit, I mean, that's a bit of a rough uh, thing to do. But this was a special thing that you undertook for the Mind Charity. Um, this was just uh, six weeks ago, I do believe. Uh, just tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so... As you said earlier in the podcast, I'm 30. I turned 30 this year and uh, I've always had sort of, I don't know why, my brother thinks I'm sick in the head, but that's a, that's a different discussion. But I've always had this feeling that when I turn, have a big birthday, I have to do something a bit out there. 
Um, so when I was 21, I climbed up Kilimanjaro with my mum and my dad, just because I saw Kilimanjaro and thought how cool it'd be to be on the top of that and then decided to do it. Uh, but this time I wanted to do something that I had to train for. That I had to use time to, um, to, to, to work towards, but also to really push the boundaries physically and mentally to replicate then what cause I wanted to do it for. Um, now, my story, to just give a brief reference of that was, is that I've been in Norway now nearly nine years uh, and I left England for Norway when I was 21. I'd, I'd just graduated from university uh, and I'd sort of uh, met some great people on a study trip and, and um, I'd been offered the job as a as a youth coach and as a goalkeeper coach in a, in a club called Follow, which is down in, the, in about 20 minutes south of Oslo. And I basically dropped everything and went there. I didn't really think about like the change of culture, change of life, change of anything. I just went there and I basically worked 14, 15 hours a day. And then I would come home and do, and I had this feeling that I have to, um, I have to see as much football as I can. I have to learn as much as I can. So I throw myself into books. I'd watch games from Serie A and Bundesliga and La Liga and Liga and at all levels to basically try and get as much footballing knowledge as I could because that's what I wanted to do. And I did that for quite a long time. Um, and to put it honestly, I got tired. I, 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 I really, I had a spell in 2016 when I was last here when I, I really struggled with the results side of the game because I felt that performances for the team were, were good. We were creating chances. A lot of things that we'd asked them as a coaching staff to do, they did. But we were losing games. And I had no, like any young player, I, I compare always a young player to a young coach, that they have no references to fall back on. So they don't know why things are happening like they are. And that put me in a little bit of a dark place, um, which then led to me leaving and, and taking what I call a step back and, and working in, in development football to basically be in the shadows and, and um, yeah, have focus away from the result and focus uh, more on, on producing players. Um, but it all came to a head kind of in 2019. Uh, we had, or I had my first Christmas away from my family, um, which was planned. I have a now fiancé who is amazing and, and we sort of decided that we were going to have Christmas every other year in, in each country and this was my turn to have it in Norway and, and I was I was looking forward to it but I was also very nervous about how it was going to be um, because Christmas historically in the time I've been in Norway has always been a time I've been able to go home to see family, to see my grandparents, to see friends and to sort of leave my Norwegian life to one side. So I basically spent the whole Christmas break doing everything other than relaxing so i would do courses i would read books i would watch i went back to my old ways basically and i hit a wall in march of last year where basically i i couldn't handle anything i couldn't handle work i couldn't handle life outside of work i couldn't handle being away from home this was just before covid started so i can't blame covid but that obviously accelerated a few things um and so I had two weeks of basically where I was on my own. I basically had to push everything to one side. I had to take two weeks off work. I had to take two weeks away from my, from my now fiancé. And I just basically had to sort my head out. And I had to work out what I actually wanted to do and what I was going to have to balance it with. Because to, to think football 24 hours was just too too much. And it was too, too demanding and too craving. And, and it was something that was by far not sustainable. 
Uh, I had to work then with a with a mental coach uh, who was amazing and, and managed to connect some dots in my head and, and managed to systematically put things in a way that allowed me to think forwards and, and accept that actually if I go home after a long day at work, I don't have to watch a game on TV. I don't have to read a book. I don't have to. I can put everything to one side and focus on other things. Um and I am by far a better person and a better manager for it um, because uh, I've learned that there is more to life than, than, than being a manager and football. And, you know, as I said, I have an amazing fiance who, you know, we, we do loads of things outside now. We, we go walking, we, we watch rubbish TV like most couples do. We, we, we do lots of things like that. Um, but I'm a better manager. I could never have sat in this chair now and be a manager as I am now if I hadn't have gone through that because at some point it would have been worse, I think. So um, I basically then wanted to to raise money and, and, and use that experience to, to the better good, to raise awareness and to speak openly about it and to show that you can come out the other side and... and you know, my 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 challenges mentally were not anything to do with with people. You know, people have a lot worse ones than I have. Um, but what I'm what I'm proud of of myself is that I was able to speak out about it and 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 get the help I needed. And and I stand here to say in a much much better position yeah. than I did. I, I would say, I mean, you, you say that you you come out and you spoke out about it. Probably not enough people do in. In, in all forms of life with mental health, but especially in the sports sector, do you, do you think this is still an issue that is still a bit of almost a taboo sort of thing? I mean, I, I go back to over here in England with, with the cricketer Ben Stokes, for example. It's currently, you know, he, he's come out there, he's, he's on a, having a mental break away from, from the game. And do you think, in, in certainly in the sports field, especially with social media now as well, being rampant and, you know, if say you have a bad performance and, and they're on social media, and, and players can get really uh, abused badly. Um, you know, is, is, is the mental health issue a really serious thing now that has to be way more out in the open? I know things are definitely improving in that way, but does, does it need to become even more out in the open, do you think? I think more education has to be given to try and prevent the challenges that come with mental health. And what I mean by that in sports is exactly as you name that people have to be educated on what the harm to social media can be. And that can be to both yourself, but also to, to those that you deliver abuse to. Um, I believe that there is a by far bigger awareness and acceptance of it now, which is which is really, really pleasing. I, I do genuinely believe now people can speak out about it and people understand. And I think that is a massive step forward. I also think that what started to happen a bit in Norway now is that uh, players have started talking about it here as well. And, and clubs have a better... Uh, overview of player welfare so it's all good when people from you know Ben Stokes top level of cricket uh, and um, Naomi Osaka the tennis player talked about it openly you know people that are right at the top of the game talk about it but I also think it's important that the, the, the normal person talks about it because you have to be able to relate to then what people are going through so People struggle with mental health for different reasons. That might be an event that's happened in their life. It might be, um, it might be pressure from work or pressure from social media or bullying. Or there, there are so many reasons why people struggle with mental health. And I think the more people talk about it, the more people share the experiences they went through and how they overcame it. There then is when you can 
really make a break forward. And I think for someone like Ben Stokes now, obviously, I think a lot of it is, is around his father um, and, and the pressures of losing someone in your family. That opens doors then for people who have been in the same position to, to come out openly and talk about it. Um, so it is something that, as I say, it's a big part of the way I coach now. I, I Before I react now to people, if, if I feel that they're out of character, the first question I normally ask now, are you, are you okay? And it's amazing, actually, how a simple question can lead to a, 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 a very in-depth conversation and a very in-depth discussion um, because players then feel seen. And, and I've been very open with the team here and the club about not just what I've been through, but how I'm feeling at the time. And, and you know, for someone young and new in the role and, and going through a lot of things that, um, they are, you know, you are exposed. I get, I get a microphone put in my face after every game and before every game about what I think about today's game, and that's difficult to manage uh, when you haven't been in that position before. And sometimes I have to say to the players, "Look, I'm going to take a step back in today's session. I'm here, but my assistants are going to run it a little bit more, and I'm just going to be, you know, watching and observing and and having a little quiet word in people's ears. Um, not because I don't care, because that's quite the opposite. And likewise, not because I want to hide, because I don't. I, I make a very conscious effort to, to stand forward. But it's more just to allow the players to see that it's OK to be honest. It's OK to step forward and say, I don't feel right today, instead of trying to show a bravado that has been historically there when people have not quite felt at the, the best level they can be. Yeah, and and say well done to you doing this um, this 160 kilometer uh, sorry 100 mile challenge. I'm on your uh, just giving page now. I don't know if it's still possible to actually um, donate to your page specifically. It may well be. You raised uh, nearly 1,500 pounds for this. I will um, put a link um, in the uh, episode description about this. And uh, the Mind Charity. Actually, I know quite a few Twitch football manager streamers. They did a 24 hour session where they pass on a save every two hours for this charity it's um it's a very very good cause indeed so i was uh, absolutely hats off to you tom for for doing uh, this challenge and um putting it out there thank you i'll just say on record now that i am never doing 100 miles running again uh, i know people uh, talked about getting a taste for ultra marathon i can tell you with categoric confidence that i don't want to ever do it again it was a brilliant thing to do uh, you asked me how my knee is. My knee is fine, but I have done, I finished it on the I think 7th of August. Uh, I have done two training sessions since then, uh, just because I am still not fully recovered. Uh, so, uh, no, it was, a, it was a brilliant challenge. I have to give credit to, to my friend Beth, who I did it with as well. She, um, she ran it for the Royal British Legion. Um, and she unfortunately got a knee injury a couple of weeks before we were supposed to do it. So she ended up having to do it slightly differently. Uh, but she uh, she cycled and walked the 100 miles in two days. Um, so uh, no, it was a uh, it was something magical. A lot of people have thought I've been absolutely bonkers. And I will also give a shout out to Nordic Football Podcast because for all the training runs I had to do, your podcast were precisely the right length to be able to put a podcast on and run. So uh, uh, keep up the good work with that, please. Well, thanks very much, Tom. And before we sign off, I suppose we've got to sort of ask you about. You know the future for Tom Dent, and uh, I mean the last time we had a manager on who was linked with an Oboslo game club. Within a few weeks, he was actually uh, managing in the elite Serian, Eric uh, Shona. Um, you know that Rosenborg job often becomes available, doesn't it? 
Um, but so, um, sort of the future for you. I mean, you, you seem in a really good place there at the minute for Sturdles Blink, but I mean, really long term here. I mean, would you be sort of thinking about maybe coming back to the UK one day as an ambition, things like that? First and foremost, I have to keep Blink up this year because if if Blink achieve the targets we've set, then no one can ever take that away. You know what it's like with first time managers; they they have to they have to hit the ground running. They have to they have to be able to deliver on what they say they're going to do. So before I make any big bold promises, I want to make that perfectly clear that I have to I have to do the I have to walk the walk with Blink before I can talk the talk. Um, Eric Schoenen, by the way, I did my A license with him. He's a terrific coach. I know he's having a really tough time with it in Starbuck at the minute, but if anyone's going to be able to turn it around, it will be him. Um, but my sort of long-term ambitions is to basically keep working in senior football. Um, I'm o- openly speaking, I enjoy being a manager, but whether I can be a manager for the next 40 years is a, is a different discussion. But uh, I do want to be part of the coaching staff. I do want to work at the top level. I do want to work in another country than just Norway. Um, I've always been fascinated by Sweden. Uh, I knew I, I visited Ian Birchner when he was in in Ostersunds, and I know obviously that, that Rafa's been on it recently, and I, I spoke, I met him as well. Um, the current Ostersunds manager, Peyua Hansen, actually lives a hundred meters from the stadium here in Stuardal, so I've I've uh, I spoke to him quite a lot. He's been a good. Uh, bounce board for me this year but I've been fascinated with, with Swedish football in general in, in terms of the flexibility the same with Denmark uh, I think that that has a really good level of football so I really have an ambition to go and work in a different country and to be honest England is is something that people talk about as being the pinnacle uh, but for me actually I, I'm just happy to be working in football um, so long as I have something that I feel I can genuinely contribute to and something that I can work at the highest level possible uh, for that, uh, then I'm a, I'm a, I'm a happy person. I, I would like to go back to Glimpse, I have to say that, uh, because my fiancé is from around there and, and I have a lot of, of um, really good people in the club and, and it, it does have a bit of a place in my in my heart. Um, so if the opportunity ever came to come back at Glimpse in a in a particular role it's something that I would strongly consider um, and I would really like to work in as I say top level whether that's lead theory or Superliga or um, Allsvenskan I'd really like to to take that step there but um, I've got a bit of work to do before that I've got a lot to learn I've got a lot to get wrong and make mistakes and learn from and, and at the moment should I think is a, is a brilliant place for, for that to happen yeah, yeah just before we go um, give us two or three names to look out for in your squad. Like, I can't believe I've not even talked about any of your players actually in this interview yet. But say you are going to achieve your targets of staying up and or, or better, you know, give us two or three names to look out for who can make a real impact for you. Well, Mats Lillebo is the, is the obvious one. Uh, he's our he's our main number nine. Uh, he's got 16 goals in August League last year, which is not bad considering he's a carpenter by day. Um, he scored seven in fourteen this year so far. He's had a few more injury problems this year, but he's he's a, a really really important brick uh, in this team. Um, and then, to be honest, there's there's a few interesting players for different reasons within the squad. After that, we have um, we have Runa Hauga, who is the younger brother of Jens Petter Hauga on loan, uh, who has all the the tools in his box to to explode, but he's a different player to Jens Petter. He's a bit more 
powerful and, and pacey than Jens Petter was. Um, and then we have a, a, a midfielder called Frederick Vinja, who is, has been injured for many, many years, but he's come in as a, as a central midfielder since the summer and done really, really well. Uh, we've got a young goalkeeper on loan from Harrogerson called Frank Stoppler, who uh, I would highly recommend is one of your 10 to watch next year. Uh, because I think for a 19-year-old goalkeeper, he is he is fantastic. He, his mentality is second to none. He's he's brave. He, he's very comfortable in all areas of goalkeeping. Um, so I really think he's one to watch uh, going forward. He's been injured the last couple of games, but he's, he's back training now. So we hope to have him ready in the near future. Um, and finally, a, a wild card, if you want to call it that, Um we have, a, we have a midfielder called Shettle Tissa, who was with Christian Sun last year. Uh, he is a, a very small technical midfielder, but he's been something a bit special this year. Um, as has Joachim Olofsson, but he's a, he's a bit more of a live wire, shall we say. So, uh, no, we, we, we've got some good, good individual players in our squad. Um, and uh, there are a few that can very much take the be the next Sander Carton and take the level take the level uh, higher up in the next couple of years. Yeah, I noticed you've got Alexander Fusnes in the squad. Uh, he looks like he was a very good signing for you. I mean, this is a guy that's had nearly 60, 60 appearances in the Elite Serian um, in, in recent years. That's the sort of if that's the sort of signing you get in there at Sturdles Blink, I would say that that, that that seems very encouraging for the club. Fulsnes has been very unfortunate with injury this year. He's played a lot of games, but I don't think he's played many games at 100%. Uh, he was outstanding when he first joined us in the winter, uh, before he got his first injury. Uh, but he is a terrific, what I would call, culture bearer in the group. So he is someone that very much sets the standard. He's very humble, uh, but he's very much someone that people look up to um, and is a very good gauger of the group. So he is a very, very good player as well. Um, but he, as I say, it's been a difficult season for him in many ways. But um, as I said, that was a, a surprise signing. There was a lot of uh, noise on Twitter when we made that signing, and, and it was a uh, it took a lot of work from me and Pat and the sporty leather. But um, he's a uh, he's someone we hope to have for for a very long time. And the, where can the listeners find you on social media, Tom? You 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 are on uh, Twitter and Instagram, I do believe. Yeah. At Denty24 is my Twitter handle. Um, I tweet occasionally, normally around the games or about things I've seen. So uh, I try and be active. But I do have a I do have a genuine interest in, in Norwegian football, both in the elite area and, and at all levels, really. Um, and then my Instagram is at Tom Den. Three, I can't remember if it's 336. I don't know. We'll put it in the bio afterwards. But yeah. uh, usually that's, again, photos and, and things around the game. So um, I, I, try and, I try and keep active but i'll be honest i'm much more of a a reader than i am a deliverer and um, but it's been a very good uh i've been very uh amazed of how many connections i've had this year based on the fact that i've been a manager and uh if i give you an example this is i knew him from before but uh andy parslow who is in wimbledon now he's, he was uh written in the guardian about yesterday about how he's changed uh afc wimbledon's ability from set pieces uh, and it was amazing to think three years ago he was visiting us in in Border Glint, uh and watch he he was he's not a particularly happy flyer. So uh, when I told him we were taking a plane to an away game, I didn't quite realise how much panic that was going to cause him. But um, the, the ability to connect with coaches as well, Ash Sibyl's another one who's just signed a new contract in Finland. So Twitter is a great place to to connect, as you and I both know, Steve. 
Yeah, well, we appreciate your time uh, once again to come on the Nordic Football Podcast. I really enjoyed it. I could I could talk to you all day, but we are going to have to call it there. Thanks very much. Best of luck for the rest of the season. I hope you achieve your objectives, and we will keep a close eye on you for the, the future of Tom Den. Thank you, and uh, as I said, do my best to uh, Jonathan, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you very much.